0: So Money, episode 447, Jason Nazar, co-founder and CEO of Comparably.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: website, why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag and drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Kicking off Monday on a high note. We have a guest today that's going to teach us how to learn what we're worth. He's built a site around it. And if you're interested in building a business, he's got some advice around that as well. Jason Azar is the co-founder and CEO of Comparably.com. It's a youngish website. It's about three months old. That's trying to make workplace compensation transparent. Want to learn how much you should be getting paid? Of course you do. We all want that. And so he is here to talk about how he is growing the site to become the go-to destination for learning about salary and compensation and simultaneously demystifying our awareness around how much we can and should be making. And Jason knows how to build successful businesses. This is not his first time around the rodeo. He is an active tech entrepreneur and investor. Before Comparably, he founded DocStock, the largest content site to help small businesses. He then sold that to Intuit. He also created Startups Uncensored, the longest running and most widely attended tech gathering in Southern California. I believe California also gave him the title of resident entrepreneur. So he's a big deal. And with Jason, we want to learn why is it so hard for us to just talk about our salaries? We have this cultural stigma and fear of revealing salaries. I mean, we're more willing to talk about debt and health issues and religion and death and sex and politics than sometimes just, you know, what we make and and why is that? And Jason gets personal, talks about when he was younger, growing up in Beverly Hills, why he always sensed his family was poor, poor in Beverly Hills. Is that possible? And the wrong moves he made that helped him build a business right. Stay tuned. Here is Jason Nazar. Jason Nazar, welcome to So Money. Excited to, uh, to, to learn about comparably just three months old. Yes. But you, of course, are a very skilled entrepreneur, and we'll talk about your history uh, starting businesses. But first, I want to say I follow you on Twitter. And I noticed that you tweeted about that eighth grade student who did all the impressions of the presidential candidates and President Obama at his graduation. I watched that. And I can just I, I'm so impressed, right? He, I think what, what was your favorite of his impressions?
1: He did a really good Bernie Sanders. I've never seen uh A guy, let alone a 13-year-old kid, a Hillary Clinton. So that was impressive. Yeah, My best friend since we were kids is Ben Glebe, who's a pretty well-known stand-up and comedian. He's got his own show on GSN. And that kid just reminded me so much of him. Um, Plus, during my bar mitzvah speech when I was 13, I think I fancied myself a little bit of a stand-up comedian and was trying to make jokes. But I was nowhere near as good as that kid was.
0: That kid could host a, like the Tonight Show. He had this po- poise and kind of he had and then they showed the panned to the audience and there were like a thousand people oh. <laughs> in front of him. I thought it was just maybe like parents and grandparents, like 50 people. And No, it was just like it was I would be intimidated at 36 years old doing, you know, just a standard speech in front of all of those people. He was cracking jokes and doing it well. So who I mean, exciting to follow his career. In the coming years, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be on Ellen soon or has an agent <laughs> as we speak. Anyway, sidebar, Jason, welcome to the show. Um, comparably, let's start there. It's a brand new, your latest entrepreneurial venture, and I love its mission is really to create transparency around uh, our salaries. W- what made you want to start this company? I mean, obviously we know that salary gaps are a real thing and people, this is like the biggest issue people face when they're starting a new job. How much do I ask for? What am I worth? Um, You wanted to make this transparent. Why did you want to be the guy to
1: deliver this? It's a great question. I'll give you a little bit of background really quickly. You know, our, our last company, Doc Stock, its mission was to help make every small business better. So I really spent a decade of my life trying to Um, help entrepreneurs and small businesses. And, you know, there's a lot of content we put out there. We built DocStock into one of the largest websites with, you know, at our peak, 30 million unique visitors a month and 50 million registered users. Um, And after I sold that company and had a little bit of time to think through what I want to do next, um, this was kind of the natural evolution from a mission standpoint. So, you know, the goal is to make work better for employees and companies of all sizes and, you know, our mission is to make compensation and culture dramatically more transparent to make work more rewarding. And it, it kind of came out of the genesis of there. And then as more of a little personal story, you know, I've just become a huge convert on the importance of culture in companies of all sizes. And so, you know, those first year or two in Doc Stock, the last thing I ever thought about or cared about was culture. I thought it was something that, you know, was just a platitude that people talked about and didn't have place in startup life. Um, and that people, you know, just kind of used this pomp and circumstance. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, culture just makes such a difference in every single organization. And, you know, I, I my, you know, my professional mission is to try to help companies and employees um, run better and feel more empowered. And, you know, us working on the culture side of things is, is how i think we can get there.
0: Why is it so difficult to know what our compensation should be? Um we we this is information that many companies especially try to keep close to the chest. There are other websites out there like salary.com, payscale.com that can also give you ballpark figures. Um but why is it something that to this day is something that is pretty coveted information?
1: I think it starts with a cultural taboo in the US. You know, we could uh I'm sure in in, in five minutes of you and I getting to know each other on this call right now, I could ask you about your family and the fact that somebody had cancer or troubles we were going through in relationships or personal challenges we had. And it wouldn't be as weird as if I just asked you outright, so hey, how much money do you make a year from doing all the stuff you do? You know you would you would look at me like I was crazy, you know, and it just it comes off as offensive, and I think that we've just been you know we're in a culture that simultaneously goes after money so much, but it's taboo to talk about it, yeah um, you know and even it's even cool what you do on your blog when you talked about how you were making you know eighteen dollars an hour with you know a master's degree and barely getting by in New York. I think those kinds of things are really helpful for people, and so what we're really trying to do on the compensation side is demystify it. I don't want – there's no employee that should ever be in a situation where they don't understand what their market value is. And then when they can also compare themselves to you know, folks in similar situations, whether that's by gender, ethnicity, education level, work experience, skill set. And it's, it's often the employee the, is, is the one that's disadvantaged for having less information. But, you know, from our opinion, companies are often in the dark too. They don't understand what market is. That, and a lot of companies, you know, especially in the industry that I work in, tech, you know, you're competing to get the best talent. So you need to make sure that you're making offers that are at or above market or that you know where your current employee base may be paid under market because they're at risk of being poached. So whether it's on the compensation side or the culture side, you know, I just fundamentally believe that the more transparency and openness there is, the more it forces organizations to run better, and the more it empowers employees, and the more it builds just an engaged team overall. Um, and, and I think, to you know, your question there's just a cultural taboo around it, and and that's why we built what we did is we wanted just a dead simple, fast way that people could find. Not only you know general compensation data on what people like them are getting paid, but for that data to be valuable you, you really it really needs to be somebody that's in a situation just like yours, right so it needs to be somebody working in a similar size company in the same industry, perhaps in the same location um, and then you need to compare yourself to candidates with similar years' work experience and similar education level and and that's the product that we deliver on today.
0: Have you heard anecdotally, at least, of people who've used comparably? I know it's still very young in its its growth, but have used the information as an advantage in the job?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can look at my Twitter stream. There uh, there are already CEOs that are tweeting at me saying, um, just had to give an employee a raise because they came to me and said... (laughs) This is what, you know, the salary is comparably. Yeah. You know, interestingly, though, it also worked the other way where, you know, in tech, some folks have such crazy expectations that they just think that everybody, right, is making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. And so sometimes it's helped the employer, too, to help set expectations with the employees of what market really is. And, And that's kind of the point is that it's meant to It's meant to benefit everybody in the long run. Everybody is advantaged by understanding transparently what market is for a role. I
0: see the values in transparency, but I also... Wonder if we're really going to get there because so much of how much we make defines our sense of self worth. And if if we're okay with how much we make and we don't feel like it's making us feel more than or less than, others may project and think, oh, well, you know, I thought you were making less or more. And then it becomes this awkwardness. Do you think that that's a a real big problem that we have to get over, or it's maybe it's just something that I
1: sense? It's a really thoughtful question. I'm going to answer it in two ways. First off, the transparency is going to happen. Whether you know we existed as a company or other people, we just live in a day and age that's accelerating so quickly that every piece of information is out there and available to people. And so the kind of secrecy and black box and uncertainty around salary, it's just not going to stay that way. The fact of the matter is, so many employees already know because they're having these conversations with their coworkers. You know, they just do it over beers or around the water cooler. And it's done in an awkward way with inaccurate information sometimes. And it makes people feel bad to have these conversations because they are a social taboo. Um, So the transparency is going to happen. And I think companies need to be prepared for it. And employees should expect that the information is going to be out there. You know, we're, we're an anonymous platform. um, And we do that so that people a feel comfortable sharing their salaries Without fear of you know having their personal information identifiable, um, and you know we believe that that's an important mechanism and lever to get that inter- information distributed. So there's some companies like buffer that go so far as to say, hey, we're going to publish what individual people in our companies make not only to everybody else in the company but to everybody in the world. And I, 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 we're not going that far, right? We're not saying that everybody's individual salary should be made public within the company or outside. But we certainly think that every employee should understand what market is, and, you know, what their value is economically to a company. To the to your bigger point, uh, I do think that we value ourselves a lot by how much we make. And um, I think that that's something that you know, it's, it's hard to reconcile with because your self worth shouldn't be tied to what your economic value is. I think anybody that's competitive or entrepreneurial always wants to be doing the best. Right. But I think that there's, I I think there's a sense of detachment where you can want to be successful and want to provide, um, a life of financial freedom for your family and for the people that you care about without getting caught up in a rat race of, you know how much do I have? You know, you you mentioned the fact that I'm from LA. There's a lot of wealth in the city, and no matter how much money you have, you can always feel like somebody's doing better than you. And so, you know, whether you make ten thousand dollars a year, or a hundred thousand dollars a year, or a million dollars a year, I think if you're doing something that you love, that, that has an opportunity to help people, um, and you can have the life that you want to have, I think whether people have more or not, the best thing to do is just be grateful for the opportunities you have and go from there. Now, is that exactly where we're at as a society today? I don't think so. Um, And do people judge each other for how much money they make they do? Um, But I I don't know if that's going to change overnight. I think our part is to try to help people better understand for the jobs that they want to do, how should they be fairly compensated?
0: Well, one thing's for sure. We do appreciate when... We can access this information like your company is providing it. I mean, what a great resource to know where you stand. You know, I don't know if I'd like to work at Buffer. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did they like put that in the fine print of your contract agreement? You know, well, by working here, you hereby disclose your salary to the world.
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure it's something that they talk very openly about during the hiring process. You know, they yeah. they probably make sure that every person that comes on to the company is comfortable you know, with that procedure.
0: Sure, they'd have to. Whether you're a small business owner or a huge corporation, I've got one word that will transform the way you communicate, Igloo. Igloo software is a modern cloud-based intranet software that acts as a central meeting place connecting three things, people, information, and processes. So whether you share files using programs like Dropbox, SharePoint, or Google Drive, or you have conversations using Gmail, Outlook, or Slack, it's all integrated. You can post files, share content, and collaborate with anyone, all in just one browser window and without leaving your Igloo. With no servers to maintain, automatic upgrades, and a 100% cloud-based system, you'll wonder how you ever got along without it. If you go to igloo software dot com slash so money. You'll get a free trial of Igloo. Up to 10 users can use it for free forever. Visit igloosoftware.com slash so money to improve the way you work today. Jason, you're from LA. You're also part Iranian, which makes me think that's maybe why you're so open-minded and strong in your convictions about money and and salary and things like that. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing and maybe Along the way, what the biggest lessons you learned about money in your upbringing?
1: You know, I learned a lot. My the very first influence, and still probably the biggest influence in my life around money, um, is my dad, and and he's the one that's Iranian. My mom's American. He's a really unique character. I mean, he's he's eighty six years old. His name is Nuri. He was born in nineteen thirty. Um, I'm the youngest of four kids. And so I was a total accident. My, my brothers and sisters are, you know, a decade and a half older than I am. My dad had me when he was almost 50 years old. Uh, and he just grew up in a different time. You know, he grew up really, really poor in a small town in Iran called Kashan. And, you know, when he first came to the United States, was working for less than a dollar an hour. And, you know, every penny mattered. And, you know, over a long period of time, saved up some money and moved his family you know, to LA and he bought like one little apartment building and tried to leverage that. And so the interesting philosophy is, yeah, you know, we, we grew up in Beverly Hills. I grew up in Beverly Hills. My brother and sisters grew up in New York, but my dad literally convinced me growing up that we were like the poorest family. I know it's, I know it sounds weird and, you know, probably full of shit,
0: the poorest but, family in Beverly Hills or just no, the poorest like, family, period.
1: I, I just really thought that we were poor growing up. Like no matter what there no matter what it was, like it, my dad was always like, We don't have money for that. You know, we like if we went out to eat and I wanted to order like a six and a half dollar sandwich, you know, he would yell at me and say it cost too much money. You know, and we never have like any of the you know, Nintendo's or anything, because he was never going to spend that much money. I had like a single pair of sweats and a single pair of jeans for, you know, all of sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that I wore that were completely tattered. And, it, you know, we were, I always had a great education, loving and supportive. But my dad, even as he got more successful, I think always had this philosophy that he grew up with that everything could go away. And so he was always just so mindful about what got spent money on. And, you know, he didn't work for anybody. He was he was an entrepreneur by the time I was born. And so that really affected a lot of my thoughts around money in terms of um, just being thoughtful that, you know, just because you're successful doesn't mean you're going to stay successful. That, you know, every dollar matters that you have to watch where you spend money in every place. Um, and, and that was a big influence on in my life. And it's kind of, you know, even affected me as I've gone on to run, you know, Businesses that are backed by millions of dollars in venture capital.
0: Yeah, your previous business that you sold to Intuit. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Because I think that's the dream for entrepreneurs: is that you have this idea, you're right about your instincts, you build it, and then people come and want to buy it, and that's like a great exit strategy. What would you say were the right moves that you made?
1: Probably the most valuable things to teach are not the the right moves, which there weren't that many of them, but the wrong moves. You know, then right. Which, there are certainly a whole lot of um, so. What, let me back and explain the business. I was um, I was finishing up my JD MBA. I was going to school at Pepperdine in Southern California, and I knew I wasn't going to practice law. And when I was twenty six, I had the idea that there should be something like YouTube for documents. So uh, a user generated content site where people could upload things like legal contracts and business forms and financial models. And then everybody could get access to that content and download it for themselves. That's what we built. It started to take off. um, And not just by itself, but you know, through a lot of hustle and experimentation and late nights. And I think the, you know, the mythology that, you know, people build these companies, especially in the tech space, and then they just hit lightning in a bottle it's, you know, for every one story here like that, there's 10,000 companies where it didn't work that way. And even the stories where it seems like it worked that way, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes of people like greasing the wheels and hustling and trying to do things to, to make it appear like something just takes off virally. Um, in our case, because we were getting so much content uploaded to the site, we started to drive a lot of traffic from search engines. And so we realized that was going to be a big driver for growth. We focused the first year or two on you know the user generated content platform. then we started um, publishing content ourselves, so we produced our own set of legal forms. we would start to write articles and produce videos on how to start and grow small businesses um, and it, the site you know grew to quite a large size so again, you know when we sold to Intuit, we had fifty million registered members we had a couple hundred thousand paying monthly subscribers at our peak, we did almost 30 million unique visitors a month, which put us in the top, I think three or 400 most traffic sites in the world. What, all right. Now to your question, what worked or, you know, the variation of it, what didn't work, uh, the biggest lessons, the, the first lesson I always have for anybody when they, when they're trying to start a business is don't start with the what or how, but start with the why, you know, what's your why is the biggest thing. If you don't have a big burning why and it pushes you forward, then you always use the what and the how as an excuse not to do that thing you said you were going to do. Should your
0: why be about why me or why this idea? You know, so is it about the customer or the user or is it about you or does it matter?
1: It actually doesn't matter. Um, and the why can even be something that you feel like, you know, like your why could be that you want to prove yourself to your parents. So your why could be that you want to be the richest person in your city. Your why can be that you want to be able to be in a position for the rest of your life to help out people less fortunate than you. There's actually no judgment on the why. And it's more powerful, the more personal it is to you. But the fact of the matter is, most people that try to do something different or big in life, have something personally, they're there's some image of themselves that they see that they want to validate to their world. You know, I fundamentally believe that like we're all driven so much by our ego, our need and desire to validate our own importance relative to other people and relative to our surroundings. And entrepreneurship is often, you know, the sport that we play to try to do that. Like it's not even so much about the money or the products we build. Um, It's about, at the very heart of it, a lot of us have a perception of a life that we want to have and a person that we want to be that's different than we, who we are today. And there's something that drives that. There's something psychologically, you know, from our childhood and from growing up that pushes us forward, whether you want to prove yourself or you want to have a certain life or um, whatever it is and, and tapping into that. And being really aware of it and conscious of it and using it as your fuel when times get tough is what makes all the difference because entrepreneurship is, you know, it's just a series of failures and it's it's how you deal with those failures and it's how persistent you're willing to be and how many different things you're willing to try. I I've never met anybody that started a new venture and it just everything works from the beginning. Um things most often don't work much more often than they do. And, you know, the personal desire somebody has to keep be willing to go through those moments of failure to try to find those moments of success or indicators of success is what often separates people that uh, seemingly from the outside have a good outcome or a successful business than from those folks that don't. Um, you know, there's something that drives you to to do what you do and try to help a bunch of people and share your life lessons and talk about how other people can have more financial freedom and be more successful. Um, And that same thing is a pretty common trait across, you know, millions of people. Uh, And so I always just think that that's the most important thing, more important than any particular strategy or idea is just starting with yourself.
0: What was the biggest failure you experienced in starting your businesses?
1: There... (laughs) I'll answer it in a couple ways. The biggest failure uh, for me has always been in, in in dealing with other people. So there's lots of things that are much easier to see, right? Like we put out a product and it didn't work. We tried something marketing. Um, you know, DocsTalk, <coughs> we raised money and we sold the company. So I, I, I don't know that overall, I would say that that journey was a failure. But there was lots of things that were failures along the way. Um, And even with Comparably, right, we're trying different things that aren't working. You know, the compensation side of the product is doing really well. We have a part of the product today where employees rate companies and that's doing really well. But we also have another part that's called TalkPay that's meant to be a community forum for people to be able to ask each other questions about compensation and culture. And it's just not getting used a lot, you know, and we've tried a couple different iterations of it and we either have to realize That's not what people are coming to our product for. We just built that product in a way that people don't like it, right? So that's an example, something that we're doing today that's not working. Um, But the biggest things I've always made mistakes on is is always on the people side of things. So when I started DocStock, the biggest mistake that I made was I saved all my energy and enthusiasm and... Charm and charisma for the for the outside world, right? When I did interviews like this, I always tried to be funny and high energy. When I met with my investors, I was always the entrepreneur they liked a lot. Whenever I was dealing with a customer, I always had a boundless amounts of energy. And then I would come into the company and I would be... You know, trying to make sure we were getting things done. And I had a high sense of urgency and I had a high bar of expectations. And the people inside my company, you know, especially for the first couple of years at Doc's Doc often got the worst version of me. You know, they got the stressed out version that when I was upset, I would become reclusive or short. And, um, I didn't save my energy for them. And I always felt like, well, we're supposed to be internally doing more for everybody on the external, like you're the people that I need help from. And so I would get upset and frustrated and angry when I felt like I couldn't count on, you know, my co-founder or my employees to deliver the things that I needed to help us get the results we were all shooting for. Um, But it's just, it's just a bad way to run a business because it, it decreased the amount of fun we all had at work. Um, it decreased everybody's productivity. And the fact of the matter is, as a leader and as a CEO, you need to give more of your energy and more of your, you know, thoughtfulness and more of your patience and more of your charisma to the people inside your company than everybody outside, because it's the people inside the company that make everything that everybody outside gets the benefit from. And so that was something that it took me many years to realize I was doing wrong And to try to get better at it. And, you know, part of the thing that I was looking forward to most in starting this new company was trying to be the best version of myself internally, right? Even so much so that, you know, my COO in my last company, who I've known since I was 23 and we went to business school together and started a previous business. And he's now one of the co-founders and comparably, you know, like he sometimes comes to me like, are you being fake? You know, he's like, he just says, I, I, are you going to be able to keep up and sustain how positive and energetic you are with everybody inside the company? Because he saw, you know, the, the conscious choice that I'm trying to make differently. And, uh, that was something, you know, for me personally, like the, the hardest thing in business is dealing with people. Business would be super easy if it wasn't for people. If it wasn't for your employees and your customers, business would be a cinch. It's the fact that, you know, you've got to lead and manage and help grow all these different personalities internally so that you can provide a lot of value to people externally. That's the trick and the hard part. Um, and, And those were always where my biggest failures were and things that I, you know, today I'm really conscious of and try to get better at.
0: You're absolutely right about it It has to be conscious. And I just ended a show on CNBC where I was interviewing... CEOs and founders, and my first profile was John Paul DeJoria, founder of co-founder of Patron and Paul Mitchell Systems Haircare. And one of the first things that really stood out about him was his positivity and his optimism, and the way that he really uh, is thoughtful with how he communicates to his employees and his teammates. Teammates, and I thought at first I was like, "Your COO. I thought, is he being fake?" And I realized, you know, this is something that um, we take for granted sometimes that we're so used to perhaps people being rude or dismissive. We assume that people in high positions are just going to be short with us. And when you're not, you almost think like this isn't real. The cameras are following him. He's just doing it for the cameras. But it is something that he has made a conscious commitment to like it sounds you are. And that's really great. What's next for comparably? You're three months in. Give us your five year plan.
1: <laughs> do you do you do a five year plan as a CEO? Uh, there's a five year vision. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a you know 250 page handbook on our five year plan. But one of the things about startups, you know, is they just change so quickly. I think you've got to be willing to look at the data that. You know your customers and users are giving you and 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 move. the 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 long term vision for us is to be the number one source of uh, information on the job market for employees, especially around compensation and company culture. So we think of ourselves as a monitoring service for employees, and so think that um, you know we want to have a relationship with millions and millions of employees in the U.S. and outside where they trust us as the brand to monitor the market for them and tell them what the value of their comp should be, how their coworkers are perceiving their own company and how other companies that they may be interested are are being perceived by those employees and how they're rated on, on different culture aspects. And, you know, eventually we'll probably help people and find the best companies that are good fits for them. And so if, you know, we become a trusted platform that millions of employees use on a regular basis to to monitor the job market around compensation and company culture, then I think we've been successful at what we set out to do.
0: When you were working as an employee anywhere, did you negotiate? What was your take on negotiation or even just uh, talking about salary as you were embarking on a job in your former life?
1: the interesting part of my journey is the first time I ever worked for somebody else really was when I was 35 and I sold doc stock to Intuit. <laughs> and so I was an employee for a year. Um, and, uh, that, that literally was the first time I think I was, a, you know, fully an employee, a full-time employee of a company. Uh, so I may not be the best person from a firsthand experience, you know, but I still had to negotiate a salary with them. I had to, I negotiate, you know, with our investors the deal terms. Um, I spend, you know, a lot of my time negotiating, and and I've tried to teach other people stuff about negotiation. I think the most important thing when it comes to negotiating your own salary is a couple things. First off, a understand what market is right, and so there are sites like ours that like comparably you can go to. And very quickly see what you should be getting paid. If it's at the hiring process, one of the things that I often try to let employees know is, you know, if a company's at a, at a point that they're making you an offer, there's a lot of time and money and hard cost that went into finding you. And so you actually have a lot of leverage. So don't be bashful about asking for what you want. The worst case scenario is that someone's going to say no. But, um, you know, whether it's a signing bonus or an extra week of paid vacation or an increase in salary or a different title, um, these are often things that, you know, simply by asking and making a case why it's important to you, you can get some, if not all, of what you're looking for. You know, once you're inside a company, the biggest thing that I would say around you know, negotiating for a raise is just tie your success to the success of the company. Make it a win-win. You know, when folks come to me and they frame, you know, wanting to get a pay increase around the value they can provide to the company and extra responsibility they can take on and and extra value they can deliver, our interests are aligned. And, And that's just a really important thing. You know, I think anyone that, you know, feels confident and comfortable in their own talents and their ability and their skills, you know, they're in a great position because you can go to the folks um, at your company, and you can say, listen, I think I can do a lot more to drive value for the company. These are the things that I think I can do. These are the big objectives and goals for the company. If over the next, you know, three, six, 12 months, I deliver on X, can we agree that m- my compensation?" You know, could be why. And that's a great way to frame it, because then what you're doing is saying, look, I can provide a lot more value for the company than what I do today. And if and when I do, I just want to be compensated at a level that I feel is fair for that. And that's a great starting place and a way to frame the conversation around pay increases once you're inside an organization.
0: Right. Because effectively, you're showing your company their ROI by giving you the raise. Uh, You're giving them what they want before they even know that's what they need to hear. And that's great. You've done a lot of the homework. Hopefully that gets you a home run. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited for Comparably and its next steps. Thank you for sharing your story. And also exciting, we didn't even mention this, but you are you know you're living in LA and you're considered the go-to resident entrepreneur in LA and there are a lot of entrepreneurs in Los Angeles so that's a pretty big
1: title well th- thank you yeah it's uh I-, I think there's lots of go-to entrepreneurs in LA a lot more <laughs> you know uh, smart and successful and um better than me there's a position for the next year that myself and another woman named Eva Ho hold which is Um, Appointed by Mayor Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, and that's um, we're serving as the official entrepreneurs and residents for the city of Los Angeles. And so our goal really is to help support all entrepreneurs in the city of LA across every industry, um, and to try to connect them more with what's going on in the mayor's office. And so you know that's something I've tried to do uh, for a long time and enjoy doing it. And I I just really love hearing about other people's journeys. I always learn a lot and. get better myself and so i was very thankful for the opportunity to do that for the mayor
0: very great los angeles is lucky to have you and thanks again for coming on so money
1: thank you for having me looking forward to uh all the cool stuff that you're going to continue to do and keeping track of the podcast and everything you got coming out furnish
0: Thanks so much to my guest, Jason Nazar. His website, personal website is jasonnazar.com. That's N-A-Z-A-R. The company website is comparably.com. Check it out and I hope it helps you negotiate a much bigger salary. And you can also follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Nazar. All this information is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com. If you missed any of it, want to leave a comment, want to download the episode or catch the transcript, that's the site. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episode. Thanks a million for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And I hope your day is so money.